Today's episode of Socially Democratic is presented to you by Dunn Street. Do you know last week Dunn Street celebrated its first 12 months in operation? And in that time, we've partnered with organisations across Australia and the globe, including the Maldives, to train leaders, develop engagement strategies and employ people to organise for change. And in 2020, Dunn Street will continue to work with folks who want to make a difference, inspire hope and build change from the ground up. That's why we are dedicated to grassroots organising that is data-driven and embraces digital tactics as well. So if you want to find out more about Dunn Street, hit us up at dunnstreet.com.au. Hello and welcome to another episode of Socially Democratic. I know I promised that we were going to do a uh, podcast in between Nevada and the South Carolina primaries, but just things got a little bit complicated and trying to line up um, our uh, diaries with Sam Schneiderman, the uh, former Obama organiser. Um, but we finally managed to line up a time. I'm actually in the Maldives at the moment doing training with the um, Maldivian Labor Party. Um, but uh, we've managed to line up a time, the time zones to record a podcast today, uh, debriefing Super Tuesday. So I'm very much looking forward to today's episode with Sam to find out exactly what happened in that amazing piece of democracy that is Super Tuesday. Don't forget to follow uh, Socially Democratic on all the Dunn Street socials, um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And make sure you subscribe to Socially Democratic on your favorite podcast app. And if you use Apple Podcasts, don't forget to give us a rating and leave us a review. Now, let's get to today's Super Tuesday podcast. Okay, we're taping this one on Thursday morning, I think. I need to double-check that. Um, yes, we are taping this one on Thursday morning. Uh, it's uh, 6 o'clock Maldivian time, and uh, on the line from the United States, it's great to welcome back for our Super Tuesday Super Breakdown, Sam Schneiderman. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? <laughs> I, I'm good. I've done a couple of podcasts over the last couple of days. Um, I did one yesterday with some members of the Labor Party here, and I literally, I kid you not, I did it on the beach. Um, oh, that's awesome. Uh, yes. as, as the sun went down. That's great. I guess the uh, results of Super Tuesday have you so disoriented that you've forgotten what the week it is <laughs> yeah, a, a little bit a little bit uh, but now this time I'm actually just recording it in my in the guest house that I'm staying on in the island of Kendu which is sort of in the northern atolls of the Maldives um, and I'm just trying to it's six o'clock in the morning so I'm just trying to keep my voice down a little bit so I don't wake up um, the neighbours um, however as I said to you before we got online the um, call to prayer at uh, quarter past five um, certainly woke me up Let's get down to it. And I must profess, I'm going to tell you and also all of the listeners here, um, yesterday I was in training with um, Labor Party people and the Wi-Fi wasn't that great. So in between the breaks, I was just trying to grab all the results in order to prepare for today's podcast. But I haven't had really a chance to actually kind of read all the articles and get a sense of the thematics that came out of it. So literally the questions I'm going to be asking you are not only going to be informing the people listening to the podcast, they're also going to be informing me as well. So um, let's... <laughs> so I really hope you have done the reading in this one, uh, the reading for this week's shoot, Sam. It's, it's 
never good if you're counting off me to have done the reading. <laughs> okay. Um, actually, before we do Super Tuesday, because we last time we spoke, it was before the Nevada caucus. So I just want to get a couple of thoughts that you had from both the Nevada caucuses and the South Carolina primary before we then move into the results of Super Tuesday. So what, what was your t- key takeaways and learnings from Nevada? Absolutely. So if Iowa and New Hampshire were sort of full of surprises, uh, the surprises being Pete Buttigieg coming out of nowhere and winning the caucus in Iowa, the debacle of using the app and count the results. And then in New Hampshire, uh, you had the surge from uh, Amy Klobuchar coming in strong third, the distant finish for Joe Biden in fourth place. Um, you really had uh, Pete Buttigieg's phone showing there. Um, that was not the case necessarily in Nevada and South Carolina, where things went more or less as we expected them to go. Uh Bernie Sanders uh, won strongly in Nevada on the back of organized labor support as well as uh, his strength uh, with uh, Latino voters and younger voters. And Joe Biden uh, sort of surged back into the race with a very convincing win in South Carolina uh, and largely on... um, the strength of his popularity with African-American voters. So that would be sort of the um, crib notes of what happened uh, in Nevada and South Carolina. It was a um, two Saturdays of kind of emotional uh, swings and roundabouts, I felt, probably for those who have a vested interest in this um, primary season and also the campaigns, because if you were a Bernie supporter coming out of Nevada, you would have felt pretty upbeat about it, and certainly the media had then determined him to be the um, the clear front-runner. Um, and if you're the Biden camp... Well, certainly, actually, if you were the other, the non, the other centrist, but the non-Biden camps, Buttigieg, Klobuchar, that really kind of was the the end of the road or the start of the end of the road for them. Um, for the Biden camp, they were they were still sticking on this kind of hold out till South Carolina, hold out till South Carolina kind of attitude. Um, sure. So I think you know one of the, one of the um, things that was also that also went as expected uh, in the Nevada and South Carolina um, races was the uh, poor performance of Pete Buttigieg with minority communities or minority voters um, and Amy Klobuchar's failure to um, really sort of crack in and um, capture uh, the lightning uh, that she bottled in New Hampshire uh, and to bring it to those other two states. So, um, you know, they looked at the rest of the calendar, looked at the money they had in the bank, realized that the states that were coming weren't necessarily places where they uh, could perform strongly, didn't necessarily have the money um, to keep competing. And, you know, one of the things that we spoke about in our previous conversations, uh, specifically with respect to Bernie Sanders, was two key things. Number one is this idea of a validating experience. Bernie Sanders was the front runner, but he needed a validating experience to really sort of run away with it, at least from, you know, the narrative perspective. Uh, And the second thing that we talked about was 
if you were on Bernie Sanders' campaign, you were a little bit concerned with underperforming fundamentals, specifically in turnout among younger voters. Bernie Sanders has always been saying that the strength of his candidacy is the ability to expand the electorate. And certainly he's bringing new voters into the electorate at the first, for the first time, you know, registering new voters, uh, uh, getting people into the campaign that maybe haven't been involved in politics before, haven't voted in a long time. Uh, but he hasn't really done that at a scale that um, would indicate that he is riding this, um, you know, wave of popular support. Um, and so... With Amy and Pete specifically realizing that uh, their road was was finished, uh, they coalesced around um, the viability of Joe Biden to sort of represent the more moderate of the Democratic were you surprised that both Klobuchar and Biden, after South Carolina, so quick moved so quickly to endorse the candidacy of Uncle Joe? I mean, uh, uh, you just pulled Joe Biden there. You mean Amy and Pete? Oh shit! Sorry, I did too. That's too early. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We support. We support. <laughs> I did pull Joe Biden there. Uh, hot, hot diggity. Um, yeah, sorry. Um, Pete and Amy, we surprised with their uh, uh, quick turnaround and endorsement of um, Joe Biden. No, was not. Um, you know, they're. They are professional politicians. They realize sort of what the dynamics of this race are. They realize, um, you know, what Bernie represents and what their interests or what their value set is and how they and their vision of the country is. So uh, I I saw I think that they realize that uh, they were going to have a significant impact in this election. They had to move quickly to lend their support uh, to to Joe. So then we had the South Carolina primary and Joe Biden uh, is the comeback kid and not only wins, but wins convincingly. Um, and the numbers really hold up. The question that I had going, the, the number one question that I had going into Super Tuesday was, okay, Joe, you won a standalone uh, state primary in which you had clearly invested more energy into that particular race than uh, any of the others till that point. But Super Tuesday, you need to do that across, I think it's 13 states and territories. Do you have the infrastructure? Do you have the campaign structure to actually sustain success on multiple levels simultaneously? And one of the point, one of the interesting takeaways I had from... The, from the uh, South Carolina primary was uh, Representative Clyburn, who's regarded as the most influential African-American Democratic politician, um, who came out and endorsed Joe Biden in the, in the days leading up to Super Tuesday, said uh, on the record that we need to go and have a hard conversation with the people running Joe's campaign if he actually wants to go on and win this damn thing because um, his organisational structure is, you know, is... Uh, not up to scratch. Um, do you think that um, he that that uh, that question that I've I, I asked of the the Biden campaign did they answer that on Super Tuesday? I don't think he answered that 
definitively, but I think from at least a narrative, uh, you know, point perspective, he is able, he is sort of reestablished his viability um, as a candidate. So, um, you know, he's going to have to prove that he's able to compete uh, across the country, uh, but he has a couple of things going for him that might be able to sort of in the gaps where his uh, his campaign infrastructure is lacking. Number one is the map of states that are going to be voting in March tend to favor uh, the collective voters that are falling in behind uh, Joe Biden. Joe Biden has um, <clears throat> Joe Biden yesterday actually performed better than expected with voters, especially in the suburbs, and was actually able to peel rural moderates away from Bernie. Uh, Bernie, you know, was able to win in 2016. So that's one uh, thing that uh, Joe has going for him. And, and for reference, uh, the states that, that really happen him are uh, next week, March 10th, Michigan, Mississippi, and Missouri will be voting. Um, those tend to really help uh, Joe Biden. And then later on, uh, Florida and Ohio uh, we'll, we'll be voting, too, um, and it's on the 17th. So Joe Biden uh, could, could really start to snowball here uh, with uh, momentum. Now, the other uh, thing, the other X factor here is money. Bernie Sanders just pulled in a crazy amount of money, $46 million. Joe Biden, um, I think, is going to have to step up the fundraising. He's not going to have the small-dollar appeal that Bernie has, but he does have the support of Michael Bloomberg, whose net worth is $64 billion. Now, Michael Bloomberg is not going to give a billion dollars to Biden. What he is going to do is he's able to keep his... Uh, the resources at his disposal to help define Donald Trump, to help uh, to pour it into super PACs that would be aligned with the Democrats and Joe Biden. And so he may uh, end up benefiting from that. And Bloomberg has said that he is going to uh, support Joe Biden. I think the things that uh, you know, Joe Biden uh, really you know, needs to... to, to needs to put to rest as far as a concern is not so much his campaign's infrastructure as his performance as a candidate. He frequently rambles, falls off the message, gap prone. Um, and that's how he's become defined. Or and we'll sort of expect that from him and, and discount him serious candidate because of it. And just last night, you know, after uh, really validating experience of stomping it in on, on Super Tuesday some of these states confused his wife his sister on the victory state. So not a great look and mm-hmm. he's got to really uh, you know um, become a more disciplined candidate uh, to shore up that weakness. How much of a problem I haven't had a chance to look at the delegate hall. Um, I'm just interested in get your thoughts on uh, the 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 delegate situation uh, state not not going state by state but out of Super Tuesday um, did Bloomberg uh, take any delegates from any of the states that were available on Super Tuesday? I don't know specifically what his delegate. 
like it count it. So I think he didn't uh, crack fifteen percent in any of the states, and so that's sort of like didn't factor in in the delegates. But um, you know, I, I, where we stand now after Super Tuesday is effectively a neck and neck race between Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. And for listeners in Australia, again, the way we choose our candidates here in the U.S., very convoluted. Uh, But when you're running for president, it's not necessarily the person who wins the most votes who becomes the nominee. It's the person who wins the most delegates that are apportioned based on your support in these nominating contexts. And so right now where we stand is that Bernie Sanders and Biden are more or less in a neck-and-neck race, according to the delegate count, with the elections to come very much favoring uh, the Biden with the coalition of voters that are falling in behind him. Um, the 2008 primary season, uh, this point between Hillary Rodden Clinton and Barack Hussein Obama um, was an interesting insight into narrative and how you spin a victory because Hillary Clinton won the, won the majority of the states on offer in on Super Tuesday, but Barack Obama in the states where he just lost, or sorry, where he lost to Hillary Clinton, he only narrowly lost, therefore collecting a large sum of delegates that were on offer. Um, and then the states in which he won, he won quite convincingly. These smaller states in parts of the sort of in the South or or notionally red states in a um, Republican Democrat divide. And so when they did the count. Um, I think from memory, Obama either was only just slightly behind on the on the delegate count from the day, um, or w- was maybe even ahead. Um, and I remember David Plouffe having to send out n- uh, briefing notes and memos to the journalists to say, "Stop looking at just who's winning the states and actually focus on the delegate count." Um, I think the journalists have lo- learnt that lesson from 2008 because there's a far more forensic analysis of delegate counts, pledged delegates awarded from each of these primaries and caucuses um, into in this 2020 primary season. Is that something that you have noticed as well? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think people are definitely keyed in on it. And, uh, you know, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this, this unfolds. Um, t- tell me, uh, and this is going to show you how much I definitely haven't caught up on the news. Um, Elizabeth Warren, um, has she, is she still in the race? Has she um, suspended her campaign overnight? Or have I missed something here? As of now, she is still in the race, yes. And um, that is uh, the source of much intrigue amongst uh, politicos. Uh, people are trying to, are wondering uh, if, when she's going to drop out. She hasn't performed uh, competitively in any of the nominating contests so far. In fact, has underperformed uh, in most of them compared to sort of the organization that she was able to build and the expectations she was able to set. Uh, she came in a disappointing third place in Massachusetts, her home state, um, and, you know, probably doesn't have a ton of money left in the bank at this point, uh, but does actually have a considerable amount of uh, influence within democratic politics and voters as to where she put throws her support so i think you know she's 
she was she's in the race for the right reasons, and I think is looking at how uh, to get out of it for the right reasons, and uh, was probably uh, spending um, uh, some time thinking about that. But there is um, some uh, there is a lot of uh, competition for her support. So Bernie uh, supporters are really concerned or really um, think that uh, Elizabeth Warren um, sort of blunted Bernie's momentum and, um, you know, sort of did some blocking uh, for Biden on Super Tuesday. But there is uh, the data tends to suggest that um, whenever uh Warren was losing support, a considerable portion of it would go to Pete or Amy. Mm. So uh, we will see sort of uh, how this shakes out for her. I think you know Elizabeth Warren had this really interesting um, you know, uh, blend of supporters. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they uh, how they break. What happened with Warren's campaign? Like, you know, the last time you and I saw each other were in Brooklyn in November last year when we did a podcast. We were really talking up not just the the can the, the actual infrastructure campaign of Elizabeth Warren, the the length, the efforts she was going to to connect with Democratic voters, like staying behind, like she was having packed rallies and staying behind for like three or four hours and doing having selfies with every single person that wanted to get up and get a photo with her. Um, she was the level of policy detail that her and her team had put together. I mean, you know, the whole, you know, I have a plan for that thing. Um, at one point there, she was, without having any votes being cast, she was seen as the front runner. And then as soon as we actually asked Democrats to fill out a ballot paper, um, she has just been third, fourth or fifth placed in all of these results. What, what, what has been her problem in connecting with Democratic voters? I don't know that she necessarily had a problem connecting with voters as much as she um, had some unforced errors politically. So one of the uh, sort of uh, areas that she was beginning to carve out to root for herself was as the candidate of the, the progressive wing of the party. And Medicare for all basically universal single payer health care is the um, you know is the cause that really unites the progressive movement of the party specifically and uh, Elizabeth Warren had uh, come out strongly uh, in support of it but started a waffle when she got those well how are you going to pay for it questions she then sort of um, hemmed and hawed on her support, talked about a path to getting there, uh, became a little nuanced, which I think um, you know raised suspicion amongst some people, and that allowed Bernie Sanders, who has been consistent on this issue, to come back in and, and sort of fill that vacuum. So she, she lost some momentum there, and um, I think really... Uh, saw that um, you know her support fell fell out in that way. Let's turn to the uh, the demographics of the results from Super Tuesday. Um, can you get a sense of what can we draw from these states 
that voted on Tuesday, uh, who turned out for Biden, who turned out for Sanders, and what can that tell us about both the strengths and the weaknesses of these two candidates going into the next round of uh, primaries? Absolutely. So race was pretty interesting. Uh, Joe Biden won uh, black voters by a 40, almost 40 percent margin uh, compared to Bernie. Uh, he did better than expected with whites, particularly in suburbs. And as I mentioned, um, was able to take some rural moderates from, that Bernie had won in 2016. Um, turnout was higher than expected. Um, now, especially in the suburbs where Biden did well, but that's where Bernie also struggled. Bernie has always said, I'm going to be able to expand the electorate, particularly with younger voters. That surge hasn't materialized at the scale that he has needed. And he's now promising it's going to come in November when he's sort of said, this is what's going to propel us right now. Uh, Biden actually won in Texas on the strength of late deciding voters. So, it seems that the uh, uh, coalescing of his around his candidacy, particularly uh, with leadership from uh, Amy Klobuchar and Pete falling in there and leading their supporters to Biden campaign, had a significant impact. Um, Bernie's firewall sort of came in the western states, which are more diverse than where you saw uh, Biden performing really well. Um, in the South uh, and um, in the Midwest and, and Northeast even. So uh, Bernie uh, did well in California and Colorado specifically, and uh, that was in many thanks to his connection with uh, younger voters there and Latino voters um, as well. And so uh, and, and sort of the, the progressive voters too. So um, that you know, it seems like the we're getting uh, more clarity into the types of coalitions that each candidate is going to be able to assemble, and we're starting to understand in sort of the early stages what um, you know their their path to victory might look like in a general election. Uh, the um the Bloomberg factor, um, you know, looking at the sort of the early results that I was managing to get a quick uh, glance at my phone yesterday, um, there was uh, so many, there was a bunch of states, and I don't know how they all panned out in the end, where um, Biden was on, you know, was polling at around 18%, um, Bloomberg was polling around 18%, and Sanders was sort of, you know, 25 to 35. Um, those Bloomberg voters... Um, where do you uh, where do you think they're going to go uh, for the next round of um, uh, primaries? I think they're going to, to Biden for sure. Um, and if that's the, the ones that are Democrats, <laughs> and that well, oh, unpack that. What do you mean by that? Well, I think you know uh, Bloomberg uh, has a. Um, a lot of, he had some support from Democrats for sure, but also had support uh, from people who might see themselves as never Trump Republicans, moderate Republicans uh, who like sort of his business acumen and brand uh, and like sort of what he did 
with New York City and the narrative that came out of that, uh, but are sort of like repulsed by Trump. Uh, and, you know, definitely didn't, would never vote for Elizabeth Warren or, or Bernie Sanders. Um, do you, uh, do you think that, uh, we're seeing signs across this primary season now that, uh, are building good voting foundations for the general, regardless of, uh, whether it's Sanders or Biden, like is the democratic base expanding, uh, is turnout holding up like they, the numbers were in 2018 in the midterms? Because uh, we talked about this sort of uh, after, I think it was New Hampshire or uh, Iowa. Where the, the, Iowa, yeah. yeah. Yeah, And we haven't sort of come back to that yet. Are, are we, are, you know, regardless of who the nominee is going to be, is there foundations here where we think that moderates, um, never-Trumper Republicans are starting to peel off who they voted for back in 2016? You know, it's really too early to say, uh, and that's just because so much can happen between now and Election Day. We've got a very, we have two very volatile candidates. I mean, uh, if you, like, in the hypothetical that it's Biden versus Trump, right, uh, Trump is obviously very uh, volatile as a, as a candidate, R- as a person. Really? How so? Uh, uh, well, I don't think we have enough time for, for that in this conversation. Uh, and then uh, Biden, in a different way, is also quite volatile. You know what's interesting? Do you know both of them don't drink? I did not know that. I used to have a rule. How wild is that? I used to have a rule. I never trust people that don't drink. Yeah, I mean, Jesus. You know, everyone's got their thing, but that's... Uh, that's kind of a funny peculiarity. Anyway, or a funny uh, funny detail about both of them. It's not a peculiarity. But um, so, uh, yeah, like, you know, with these volatile candidacies, anything can happen. And it'll be interesting to, uh, to see uh, what can happen between now and then and sort of the coalition that they build. But uh, I think what we're seeing is um, Biden is beginning to look like he's able to put forth a viable candidacy. Uh, the result in Texas would have shocked the Sanders camp, I would feel, particularly after a strong showing from the uh, Latino voters in the Nevada uh, caucus. What, uh, what, what are we reading to that? Absolutely. Uh, I think what's interesting is that uh, late deciding voters were such uh, a big uh, decisive factor. And uh, what we're going to be seeing is a huge surge or a huge, um, well, the dynamic of the race is is shifting a little bit. And uh, it's shifting around um, Biden's support being, uh, you know, being the leader of, of more moderate voters in the suburbs who are sort of falling into line. Uh, we'll see what happens in ter- to turnout levels uh, and whether these patterns can be maintained in the coming uh, states. And if, uh, you know, I'm Biden, I'm sort of a bit concerned about his inability to sort of break through with the Latino community. Um, and I think that's where, that's one of uh, Bernie's 
key uh, strong areas of support. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that factors in the general election. So just quickly before we wrap up, um, turning our attention to the next round of primaries coming up, you mentioned them before. Um, we've, got, we've got Michigan. What else is on the cards? So uh, coming up in uh, next week, we've got Idaho, Michigan, Mississippi, Missouri, North Dakota, and Washington State. Now, of those, I think the one that I would be looking at as the clearest indication for like a competitive race, it's the Michigan primary. Uh, you've got a state that really speaks to both Bernie, Bernie's uh, you know supporters and Biden's supporters, but also uh, was a surprise win for Trump. 2016. So it'll be really interesting to see who wins that state by how much, what the, what the turnout levels are going to be. Uh, you know Donald Trump's going to be doing a rally uh, there uh, sort of right around that time. It's going to be a, a very frenzied state. Mississippi and Missouri definitely are going to be favoring uh, Joe Biden. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. And then the week after that, we've got Arizona, Florida, Illinois, uh, and Ohio. Florida and Ohio are really uh, promising for uh, Joe Biden. Arizona uh, could, you know, is something that I think Bernie is going to be counting on as a, as a firewall. Uh, and we'll see what happens with Illinois. It's going to be fascinating. And if it remains a tight contest, and something I don't, let's not talk about it today. We're certainly going to talk about it as we move through these races. But it, very, it could very much be a case where we could have a, uh, a, a convention in which um, it could be contested, uh, which hasn't happened since I think Adelie Stevenson or as far back as the 1950s. Um, but uh, I um, I just find that certainly after Super Tuesday, um, momentum is with Biden. I don't know if you, th- if you have that sort of same feeling as well. But I mean, is, who has got the mojo right now? Definitely Joe's got it, and we'll see whether or not he uh, can avoid squandering it with some unprompted uh, gaffes as a candidate. Yeah, and the debates now are just going to be him and. Sanders on the stage, or and, and certainly Elizabeth Warren, um, f- until she decides to pull a pin. So the focus is really going to become on Joe because <laughs> I think it was the Nevada debates. He literally had to keep on putting his hand up and saying, "Hello, I- I'm still here." <laughs> you know, uh, can you pay attention to me? Where the other candidates exactly. were, we're completely ignoring him. Uh, but from now on, it is uh, going to be a uh, Bernie and uh, Bernie and Joe show. What a difference a feed is can make. Yeah, unbelievable. Sam, look, thank you very much for taking your t- t- taking time out of your, your uh, schedule to line up this podcast. This is I've never done a podcast at six o'clock in the morning, but to be honest, I don't know what time it is. I think it's actually still technically lunchtime in Australia, so um, uh, I don't feel that knackered. But uh, great to talk to you again. Thank you for bringing me up to speed with the uh, Super Tuesday results. Uh, when I get to some serious Wi-Fi, get to some serious Wi-Fi, I'll um, be downloading the New York Times and having a proper debrief on how everything went. But I hope you at home listening to today's podcast also um, got uh, your 
weekly dose of the Democratic primaries. And actually, the feedback, I just want to say, Sam, the feedback we've been getting with these podcasts um, from our listenership has been really, really positive. A lot of people have been leaving us messages on the Dunn Street social saying, loving the podcasts with uh, Sam Schneidman. So we do appreciate uh, you uh, going on this journey with us across uh, the Democratic primary season. I love, it's been uh, it's been a blast, and we'll see uh, see where this journey goes. Maybe uh, when you uh, maybe you can arrange a trip over to the states, uh, and we can uh, report live from the Democratic Convention in Milwaukee. <laughs> that could be our next one. Wow, you've uh, you've set some high bars there. How about we just settle with doing a podcast next week, uh, debriefing the next round of uh, primaries instead. That sounds good. Okay, fantastic. I'm going for a run and a swim. You enjoy yourself today. Thanks, mate, and we'll uh, talk to you soon. Thanks.